What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam? Welcome back to the DFS Lab. This is our second DraftKings DFS Lab of the week, recording on Saturday morning. Usually we have a Thursday morning DraftKings Lab that we record that goes out on YouTube on Thursday, a Friday FanDuel one that goes out on Friday, and then a Saturday one. Uh, but we usually record the, the Saturday one on Friday. This week, a little change of schedule. So recording it on Saturday, get some fresh late week thoughts. I'm JM. He's Keegan. With that, let's get started. One week season. So Keegan, uh, we uh, yesterday my wife had a migraine, had a, my wife, your aunt, uh, had a migraine, Had to I had to watch the kids in the morning. Um, we bumped to Saturday morning. I didn't realize that she had a photo shoot this morning. So the kids are downstairs watching Bluey. <laughs> oh, we will see. I, I put William yeah. in charge, uh, told them no yelling. We'll see how this goes. But um, if well, there that, is, can... uh, for you guys watching this, if there's a strange pause, uh, it does look like there's a way to pause the recording partway through. So if there's a strange pause, that's because something's going on downstairs with my two-year-old and four-year-old requiring some adult attention. But uh I think they'll do all right. Um, Keegan, how you doing, man? Uh, doing all right. Doing good. I got the uh, I got like work in like an hour or so. so. Oh, nice. <laughs> then we will get a uh, we'll get a nice little compact uh, DFS lab in get a get a late week roster. It should be fun because Friday is kind of for me finalizing my early player pool, um, and that kind of takes shape throughout the rest of the day on Friday. Um, so Saturday is, you know, doing a Saturday show. Obviously, things change in my mind on Saturday night when I actually get in and build, but kind of have my pre-build thoughts firmed up. So, um, yeah, cool opportunity to sit down, talk through this slate, and build a roster. So before we build, here's what I'm seeing. We might have talked about this on Thursday, but Thursday is kind of early in the process that I'm not sure I had this totally pinned down in my thoughts, but kind of see it as a week where there's just not a lot of one-offs that really stand out to me. Yeah. and um, several game environments that could end up being very interesting. So this week, uh, in fact, my player grid, I don't know if you've looked at it yet, but usually, you know, usually I have my blue chip plays. So for any of you watching who are not OWS members, my player grid goes out to subscribers every week and it's my player pool for the week. And I break it down in, in terms of blue chips and then light blue chips, which is guys who aren't true blue chip plays, but they're kind of up in that range. Uh, then build arounds, which is teams or game environments I'm building around and then bonus plays. And this week, there were no blue chips. There were no light blue chips. And so it was build arounds and bonus plays. And that's kind of how I see this slate is like, there's kind of a large pool of, uh, saw one, one question on Twitter. I haven't had a chance to respond to it yet, but they asked, you know, your, your player pool lists a lot of people this week. How do I narrow things down? And first off, obviously, I'm not telling you guys who to play. This is, I'm just saying this is my pool. So my pool is going to look different every week. But um, that's kind of the point, right, is I didn't want to on a Friday inorganically narrow things down and say, okay, well, I'm just going to play these guys or these guys are better than these guys when that's not really the case, right? There's like, things are pretty clumped up amongst the one-off options, but then there are these game environments that can really take off. So I'm always kind of looking for game environments, but it's not unusual for me to be like, okay, I've got a quarterback and a wide receiver and then six non-defense spots kind of filled up with one-offs or whatever. Uh, this week, it's going to be like three to five spots on every roster is going to be taken up with team or game stacks and then just kind of mix and match the the one-offs around that so so you're um, doing like double game stacks basically the, yeah well it's going to be like i i think that there's a tendency you know i'll say it like this the sharpest dfs players 
are the guys who play every sport. And, you know, you see their names for five, 10 years at the tops of the leaderboards because they're, they have staying power. They're able to find a way to make money. And what you'll typically see those guys do in NFL is they just overstack. They find games to overstack every single week. Right. And they know if they do that over time, they're going to make money. Uh, I only play NFL DFS. And obviously I'm much deeper into the weeds with these teams, these coaches, these players than the typical sharp DFS player is. And so one of my edges is that I don't just overstack every week, right? Because some weeks I'm like, oh, maybe like the clearest path this week is more like finding the right quarterback and wide receiver pairing. And yeah, you don't get as much right when you get that bet right. But like, there's going to be a lot of weeks where there is no like quarterback plus two or three guys that actually is worth using or quarterback plus two guys plus a bring back that's actually worth using. So I don't just auto do that. And that leads to me more often than most sharp NFL DFS players having quarterback, pass catcher, and that's my stack, you know, and, and like a lot of my teams with just kind of two guys taken up with that bet. So, yeah, I mean, this week it's going to be more like three spots on a roster, four spots on a roster, five spots on a roster, all taken up with, uh, you know, building around this game, building around this game, and then potentially even like, you know, that that sixth and seventh spot might be like a correlated this wide receiver from one of these other games and another wide, like wide receiver on the other side of the ball from this other game. So, for example, I could have like, four pieces from uh, 49ers Jags and then like also two pieces from Washington Seattle on that roster. Right. And then that just leaves me with two spots left that are kind of one-off type plays. So that's kind of how I I see this week. Um, Any thoughts on that? Yeah. So with these, these like, um, like game stack lineups and whatnot, do you, so if you're going to build one, one specific way, do you want to allocate a certain amount of, um, like out of 150 builds, you want 20 of them. Say you're going to do <clears throat> more built towards Seattle on one lineup. Do you want the next one to maybe more be more built towards Washington? That's a great question. So for me, um, I very much so my my right now I'm kind of uh, there's two two top ones for me. It's the 49ers Jags game uh, and it's the Commanders Seahawks game. Um, obviously there's different ways to approach the slate. You, you listen to other sharp people this week and they might say Houston at Cincinnati. They might see, say Detroit at, um, the chargers. They might even say Atlanta at Arizona. Um, but those are the top two for me, but to me it's Purdy, not Lawrence. So like, I'm not going to alter. So there's like every week's different. Every setup would be different. There could be a week where it's like, Hey, I'm going to have, you know, 30 rosters built around this quarterback in this game and another 30 built around the opposing quarterback in this game. Um, for me, if, if Lawrence is hitting, Purdy's probably hitting at a higher level. And so it's going to be, I might have a little bit of Trevor Lawrence in MME just to account for the fact that like, okay, if this game, like say I have 25 Purdy rosters, I might have five Trevor Lawrence rosters to say like this game could, like I'm betting on this game shooting out. And so it could shoot out in a way where the touchdowns just flow a little bit differently than I'm expecting. Um, same thing with Washington and Seattle, where most people will be on Gino to me, uh, and I won't get into all of this right now because I get into it in the Angles podcast this week and in the player grid. So I don't want to double up too much for anybody who kind of listens to all this stuff. But basically, if Gino's having a, a good game, it almost certainly means that Washington is having a good game as well. And uh, Washington, a lot more flows through Sam Howell than flows through Gino on the Seattle side. So um, similar type of setup where like if Gino's putting up 25 points, I would guess that 
that Howell is putting up more than 25 points. Um, so kind of 80% of the time in that setup, I would expect Howell to have the better score. So same type of thing where I might have some Geno bleeding out from my Howell bets, but it'll be Howell bets. So every week's different. There could be a week where you can ask that question. It could be like, yeah, I'm going to just split these quarterbacks down the middle. Uh, on this particular week, I'm not seeing it that way. Uh, kind of the, the number three option for me in terms of game stacks are split between the Lions uh, Chargers game and the, the Falcons Cardinals game. I'll have some, some Bengals Texans as well, but um, these are kind of the games that are at the top for me. Same thing in those ones. Like I'm going to have Goff, not Herbert. Um, I'm going to have Kyler, not Heineke. Although Heineke is kind of interesting because nobody's talking about him and everybody's kind of like, man, what if Kyler looks really good in this game? And it's like, if he does, what if Taylor Heineke's balling out, you know, like to keep this yeah. game close uh, that like you can look through Heineke's game logs. He's capable of putting up 25 to 30 points. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I, I see this one. And there will be like for anybody who is an inner circle member or who uses the bank machine optimizer on OWS, I publish my rules on, on Sunday morning. And so you kind of see all of my, how I'm putting my rosters together, but basically my rules this week are going to be like, you know, Purdy on, this is just taking numbers out of thin air, but say Purdy on 50 rosters. And then it's going to be like, you know, 10 of them have CMC plus Ayuk and 10 of them have CMC plus Debo and five of them have CMC plus Kittle. And maybe 15 of them have just Ayuk and maybe uh, 10 of them have just Debo and maybe none with just Kittle. But like, I'll kind of have rules that mix and match it all these different ways that it could end up hitting. Um, fewer ways to mix and match the, the Sam Howell one, because it's, uh, Sam Howell doubles. There actually been three times this year that Sam Howell doubles would have kept you on a 200 point pace. And two of those times would have kept you on a 250 point pace. So mixing and matching some of these Sam Howell doubles to try to get the right combination there as well. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how I expect to be attacking this week. So you don't like um, DeAndre Hopkins as a one-off then? No, no, I do. I do. I do. Um, he's kind of in my pool of one-offs and I haven't like my, I didn't want to inorganically narrow down my list on Friday. You know, like there's so much that goes into the week in terms of preparation and research and content creation. And then also, unfortunately, like the business side of running OWS, right? So it's like um, Hopkins is in this pool of one-off plays for me, but I'm not at the point in the week where I'm making decisions on, okay, I'm gonna have this much more Hopkins than, than these guys, right? And I always do my Sunday morning update in the player grid to where, uh, I, I kind of come in on Sunday morning, usually around um, 7 or 8 a.m. on the East Coast, uh, 4 or 5 a.m. my time, and update everything to kind of say, hey, here's like my highest exposure guys, here's my mid-tier exposure guys, here's my lowest exposure guys. Um, so very, very much so, like I could come in tomorrow morning and be updating the player grid and say like, Hopkins is my highest exposure one-off play, right? Mm -hmm. um, he's certainly in the bucket where that could end up happening, but I'm not at the point in the week yet where... He doesn't like, I mean, he's still playing with a rookie quarterback in his second game yeah. on a team that wants to run the ball. So I'm not at the point yet where, uh, you know, he's, he's priced like reasonably, but he's still priced at 6K. You know, it's not like he's 4,500 or something where he's like, God, what a screaming value. So yeah, yeah I, I think that like he's certainly in the category of guys who could end up on like a larger number of my, my rosters, but he's certainly not like separating enough from the initial like first two phases of my process for me to be like, Oh yeah, definitely Deandre Hopkins. this Cause I mean, you get Chris Alave there 6,400 as well. He sees like 11 targets every week and he sees all these downfield looks and um, he's supposed to be like the, the second coming of, 
of, I don't know, the next great Ohio State wide receiver. And he's like, you know, like one of these weeks, he's going to put it together. There's kind of other guys in here that are also very interesting in that in that same price range. Yeah, yeah. I I always get bit when I pick Chris Olave, man. It's like <laughs> I mean, doesn't everybody like he hasn't he hasn't done it yet? But uh, <laughs> everybody's like, yeah. oh, he's gonna have a great week this week, and you're just like, oh yeah, you got to ride that train. And then all of a sudden, you watch the game, and you're like, what the hell? And- Christian Kirk down here, Calvin Ridley down yeah. here with you know low floor but high ceiling, Tank Dell down here. You know, it's I think what is easy to do with a player like DeAndre Hopkins is you look at the game logs and you see a 37 pointer, right? And that just, mm-hmm. it sticks in your mind because you think, oh, this is a guy who can score 37 points. Um, it's it's highly unusual for a rookie quarterback to throw three touchdown passes in a game. It's, high, it's unusual for any quarterback to throw three touchdown passes in a game, let alone a rookie quarterback. And Hopkins had three touchdown receptions in that game, right? So, um, you know, we can get fooled by the box scores and think that Hopkins is like, a dramatically better play than some of these other guys, but um, you know, Calvin Ridley has a 23 pointer and a 27 pointer. Christian Kirk has a 20 pointer and a 25 pointer. Uh, Tank Dell down here at 5,500 with no Nico Collins has a 20, a 26, a 32. So, I mean, I don't think that, I think that seeing that 37 pointer can kind of uh, dupe our own like psychology a little bit to where we're like, Oh man, Hopkins can put up this type of game, but the context of it is, like that's the only 37 pointer he's putting up this year more than likely, you know? So uh, I don't think he stands out dramatically from some of these other sharp options in the same, in the same price range. Yeah. You have a good point. Um, Cool. With that, do you want to build a lineup? Yeah, let's build a lineup and um, go ahead and pull up the DraftKings on your end. And I think what we'll do, what we'll do is pick a, pick a game um, that we want to start with. And uh, it could be, I mean, it could even be the Bengals and Texans game if you want to, if you want to see what that one looks like, uh, or we could pick the the Kyler and and Falcons setup, or we could pick kind of one of the ones that I highlighted um, already. But uh, yeah, well, I'll let you make that call, and we'll kind of see what a build might look like, and kind of explore some numbers on these different games. Um, I kind of want to try the Niners. Cool, cool. So what I what I like about the Niners, um, I mean, there's so much, but Brock Purdy, it's easy to, it's, I'll say it like this, nothing has changed with Brock Purdy. Um, he's kind of his MO since he's become the starter is that he's aggressive. He has some turnover worthy plays. Uh, last couple of weeks, last two, three weeks, those turnover worthy plays, which is something that PFF charts, those turnover worthy plays have turned into turnovers. Uh, but he hasn't actually like his, his PFF grade and his like all of his underlying metrics, nothing's changed with Brock Purdy. He's still the same guy that, you know, had all those 30 point games for the 49ers. Uh, Trent Williams was out the most impactful left tackle in the NFL in terms of how much that changes um, the 49ers offense compared to like a, a left tackle missing from other offenses. He's expected to be back this week. So that makes a big difference. Uh, the full complement of weapons with Debo coming back this week. So, 14, 10 out of 14 games that Brock Purdy's been the starter. They've scored 30 plus points. Now three in a row, they haven't. So people are just kind of like, oh, well, they don't do it anymore. It's kind of the way people are looking at the 49ers. Uh, And yet 10 out of 14, they have 10 out of 11 before this three game stretch. They've scored 30 plus points. Uh, Jags, really good defense in terms of a lot of underlying metrics, but they're, you know, the top five defense in EPA per plate allowed and DVOA, all these, all these different metrics you could look at, but what they are, 
bad at is getting pressure on the quarterback. They have one good pass rusher in Josh Allen. Uh, other than that, they cannot get to the quarterback. So they play sticky coverage and they have a fast secondary, but that doesn't matter if you're not getting pressure. And if you're taking on a quarterback like Brock Purdy, who is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when he's not pressured uh, on top of that, we saw the Houston Texans very similar scheme uh, put up 37 points against this Jags defense. So it just sets up really nicely for the 49ers uh, five out of eight games this year, Purdy, like a Purdy led stack would have kept you on a tournament winning pace. And that's incredible. That's remarkable. Like you look through most teams, most players, it's going to be at this point in the season, like two games or three games that they would have done that for you. Uh, Purdy's done it five times. One of my favorite things is when Christian McCaffrey has hit uh, going back to when Christian McCaffrey and Purdy have played together, uh, Christian McCaffrey has top 26.7 times in 14 games in five of those seven times that CMC did that. Uh, adding Purdy and a pass catcher to the stack would have been the optimal way to play things. Uh, all three times this year that CMC went for 26 plus or cracked 26 points, uh, playing Purdy and a pass catcher would have been the optimal way to play things. So people tend to isolate CMC as a one-off play. And what they don't realize is that once you get CMC right, that means you're probably getting Purdy and a pass catcher right as well. And so you can take advantage of that, that full thing. The reason is CMC, when he was with the Panthers, he would, they had nobody, right? So he'd see 9, 10, 12, 14 targets. Uh, now he sees four, five, he's averaging 4.4 targets a game, 4.6 targets a game this year. So you know, he sees four, five, six targets. Um, in order for him to have a monster game, he's got to be scoring touchdowns. In order for him to be scoring touchdowns, 49ers offense as a whole has to be doing well. So CMC plus Purdy plus a pass catcher is a really sharp way to go, or just remove CMC altogether and go Purdy plus a pass catcher. So uh, either one of those is viable. Keegan, I'll let you... Uh, pick which way you want to go on this one. Normally, I would actually want to remove CMC, but I do just want to kind of like get a good look at what we can get with uh, this salary. What's cool about it is Purdy's not that expensive. So yeah. by, by piggybacking Purdy, it kind of averages down our price a little bit. Now, we're going to go uh, Ayuk or Debo as this next guy, and Ayuk is pretty expensive. Uh, yeah. Great thing about Ayuk is – People don't want like people still don't fully trust Ayuk and don't want to pay this seventy one hundred price tag. So his ownership tends to be pretty low. And again, a lot of people kind of just look through box scores in making their decisions. So they see the seven point three pointer, the nine point eight, the eleven point six, the ten point seven. It makes them uncomfortable pulling the trigger at seventy one hundred. But uh, Ayuk is interesting. Obviously, squeezes our salary a little bit tighter. Or we go uh, Debo, also going to be obviously heavily involved in this spot and has a lot of upside. So um, I see. yeah, pick either one challenge ourselves and let's go with Ayuk. All right, let's go with Ayuk. Um, all of, honestly, Evan Ingram is viable, but the, one of the worst tight end matchups in football. So uh, let's say all of ETN, Ridley and Kirk are viable in this spot. Uh, let's go ahead and skip over ETN because of the price tag. And let's go, um, because we know with Kirk and Ridley, we get kind of this 6K and below wide receiver range, which is really nice. Uh, Kirk, obviously highly consistent and has ceiling. Ridley, less consistent, but has the same ceiling. The the thing is, like, we tend, uh, DFS players will often be like, well, I'll take the guy with the higher floor, you know, avoid the guy with the low floor. But, like, when these guys go out on the field, they don't know that one of them has a lower floor or higher floor. You know, like, uh, it could just as easily be Ridley who's having a big game. Um, yeah. Downfield perimeter wide receivers is really how you attack the 49ers, which is what Ridley is. So um, Ridley kind of sets up nicely in this spot to have another one of these 9, 10, 11 target games. The question is just, 
how effective is he with those targets? But um, in terms of what's like the ultimate ceiling, like who could have a, a, a game that the field is like, man, I can't win because I didn't have that game. Ayuk and and Ridley is a very interesting way to pair this because I could go for 35 and Ridley could go for 35. And then uh, you kind of leave the field in the dust. So uh, it's one of the things I like about this is like, uh, yeah. you got to kind of mix and match it a lot of different ways. If you're playing single entry and just building one roster or three max and building just three rosters, you got to just kind of take a guess. But for me playing MME, I will just mix and match the, the 49ers builds all the different ways. And then the bringbacks all the different ways. And so whichever one hits at the highest level, I will have it. And then, you know, I'll, I'll obviously have rosters that account for, well, what if that game doesn't hit? But uh, whichever one does hit at the highest level, I will have it. I'll be picking my favorites from that bunch for single entry and three max. So kind of got to, you know, guess uh, in terms of which one hits for single entry three max. But, um, you know, if this game takes off, one of these combos is going to end up being like a really nice way to play it that puts you pretty far ahead of the field. Yeah, that's actually, it's a really cool way to play it too. Just like, uh, you know, throwing around a bunch of different combinations and then saying that, okay, well, if this doesn't hit, then we'll try a different game with the exact same formula. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's basically saying, and this is why you see so many sharp DFS players. If you're, if you're grinding NBA DFS seven nights a week and NBA DFS is a grind because there's always late news and um, you know, five minutes before tip off, this guy's out. And then if this guy's out, that actually means that this cheap guy is getting 36 minutes and putting up like a solid DFS score. Um, so if you're having to do that, you know, every night and then you're throwing in your NFL lineups, you're not putting in the amount of time that the typical NFL DFS player does. And yet you're making more money in NFL DFS than the typical NFL DFS player does. And so how do you do that? You do that by just saying, well, let me just bet on game environments every week and I'll pick my three or four favorite game environments. And if it's a week where betting on game environment wasn't the way to go, that's okay because the next week will be, or the next week will be. So uh, this is definitely one of those types of weeks for me where it's going to be, let me just mix and match these different game environments, all the different ways. Uh, having said that, we could actually try to piggyback this with um, another game environment. So whether that's going like Drake London and Michael Wilson to bet on that Arizona Atlanta game, or whether that's going Jackson Smith and Jigba and Terry McLaurin to bet on that Seattle and Washington game even like Quinton Johnston and Jamison Williams to bet on that Chargers and Lions game. Um, or we could pick some one-offs. So uh, what do you want to do with these next couple spots? Um, I like the Njigba McLaurin pick. But yeah, that is pretty nice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Can we afford that, though? Is the, is the So Njigba is 4,100. McLaurin's, I think, 53 this week. So, I mean, in terms of, you know, how much salary you can save while still getting elite guys – that's about as good as you can do, I guess. Um, McLaurin, I, I mean, in Jigba, not really an elite guy, but it, attaching him to this game environment, you kind of get some elite upside. Uh, okay, I was wrong. McLaurin is what, 5,800? Yes. Okay. I must already have him on this roster. I'm looking, okay, I do. I'm like, I'm like trying to look for him in the players. It's because I'm looking at a, uh, a roster I built last night with Sam Howell and McLaurin and Njigba and Logan Thomas already on it. Um, so yeah, this, um, you know, we might not end up with the Cowboys defense really is kind of what we're looking at, right? Yeah. Um, because we're going to have to take a running back and we don't necessarily want to just sacrifice at running back. Um, that said, you know, if we wanted to, if we wanted to say like, well, we really do want to get the Cowboys defense, we can go Najee Harris. Like Najee Harris is a sharp on paper play this week and he's only 4,900. Then you take a cheap tight end, like say Chigo Conquo or something like that. And all of a sudden, like you're still in position for 
this to end up working out. Whoa. That is wild. I love this. <laughs> what? How did we afford this? There you go. And anytime you can get a roster where you're like, wait, did the, you know, every once in a while, every once in a while I'll build a roster and I'll be like, where did all the salary go on this roster in terms of like, this roster sucks and it's spent 50K, you know? And then every yeah. once in a while you get a roster where you're like, wait, did I miss something? How did this, yeah, how did I get all right this out? Um, so yeah, rosters like that are always dope. And part of that's, you know, like we're used to Najee Harris being like 55 to 5,800. Yeah. We're used to Calvin Ridley realistically could be as high as 6,500. Uh, Terry McLaurin all of last year was 6,800 to 7,400. Um, so, so you kind of get like, you're getting good value on some of these guys. Really, Purdy should be like 64, 6,500. Um, and, you know, you fit them all in together. We really only take, you know, Najee Harris can't go for 30. But this is a strange week at running back where it won't be surprising if no running back goes for, like CMC could be the only running back who tops 25, right? Mm -hmm. So if Najee goes for 17, which he very much can in this role, and he's looked a lot better and the matchup's good right here. Uh, if he goes for 16, 17 points, um, you're probably not far behind the Bijan Robinson, Joe Mixon, uh, James Conner type pool of running backs. It allows us to fit in the Cowboys defense. So Chico Conkle is really the only kind of like big swing we're taking, but um, you know, no Traylon Burks, a uh, good matchup against the Bucks. Uh, Chico Conkle is typically seeing three, four, five targets. He can see as many as six or seven targets. So, um, you know, athletic guy, downfield role, he can hit for big plays. So yeah, I mean, we're not really sacrificing ceiling in the way that we built this and uh, bet on two particular game environments going a particular way. And if those two spots hit, we're getting, we have a shot, you know, obviously they could hit in a different way than we're betting on it here. But if those two spots hit, we're, we've got a shot at getting, what is this, six spots on our roster correct, just from getting two bets correct. And I'll definitely have a lot of rosters this week that are like 49er stacks with two pieces from the Washington Seattle game or Washington stacks with, you know, Seattle bring back and two pieces from the 49ers Jags game. So that if, if those two games hit, like I'll have a bunch of rosters that are in position to hit. And then again, this is what we always talk about with turning the math in our favor. You get two things right and you get six spots correct on your roster as a result, much easier to get two things right than to get six things right. Just mathematically, obviously. So um, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Pretty cool roster. It gives a sense of exactly like what I'm looking to do this week. Um, might be a shorter show than normal. I don't know. Keegan, you got any any other thoughts on this? Um, no, not really, no. Cool. Um, any other thoughts you want to bring up on the uh, the week or anything before we get out of here? We, I mean, we got time if we want to use it. Or the, our, uh, our original vision for the show was for it to be a 30-minute show. <laughs> we just never ended up like doing that. an hour every single day. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, you got anything else you want to hit on here? Um, yeah, like how are you – gonna like be playing the the giants cowboys game at all or do you think it's gonna kind of go where the the cowboys get up to a decent score and then kind of slow down in, like the second half or so <sighs> i really don't know so like i still have i, I have cd lamb and dak on my list um so first off i think this is this is pretty important to note cd lamb since the start of last year has topped 28 DraftKings points only four times now three of those have come this year. So um, he only did it once last year, which is pretty crazy. But uh, in three of those four games, when CD Lamb went for 28 plus, in three of those games, Dak went for 31 plus. So if you're getting CD Lamb correct, you're probably getting Dak correct. And so it makes sense to play Dak on the CD Lamb roster. So that is one thing I do know is that most of my CD Lamb rosters 
will have Dak because I think CD Lamb will be somewhat popular and people won't won't just automatically play him with Dak. And that is the, the best mathematical way to play him. So take advantage of that. Um, you know, I mentioned this, I think I mentioned this on Thursday. I definitely mentioned this in other spots this week, but uh, I played CD Lamb twice since the start of last year. Yeah, yeah, you it was the last two weeks. And uh, the reason I'd never play him is because, and we were talking about this all year last year where, and again, he put up 28 plus points once last year. Uh, and, you know, I watch all the press conferences and Mike McCarthy kept talking about, he, well, there was one point where he even said like, you know, I sat down with Kellen Moore this off season and told him like, we, we don't want to be aggressive through the air. We don't want to be the type of offense that's trying to light up the scoreboard. Um, our defense is the backbone of our team. It's how we want to win games. And basically it was like our offensive approach is to like, slowly score points and control games and keep our defense rested. You know, like that, that, that was like an old school football approach. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> which, which granted, depending on your personnel, like if you're Mike Vrabel and you're dealing with a team that has Derek Henry on one side of the ball and Ryan Tannehill under center and, and, you know, especially last year, no AJ Brown, DeAndre Hopkins wasn't there. Like that, that's an old school approach, but that's also the approach that makes the most sense for your roster. Um, if you got Dak and CeeDee Lamb and Tony Pollard and uh, all these weapons, maybe not the approach that makes the most sense for your for your offense. So, um, you know, can you fault them? They were, I don't know, 12 and 5 last year or 13 and 4, whatever they were last season. They were finding ways to win, but that was very much Mike McCarthy's MO was this is how you win games. And then in the offseason, they got rid of Kellen Moore, who wants to be aggressive and throw the ball and have, um, you know, a, a, like a new look NFL, modern NFL offense. Kellen Moore immediately, I think it was like one day later, got the offensive coordinator job with the Chargers because everybody knows he's a sharp offensive mind. And Mike McCarthy was like, you know, we're going to bring this in-house. And it's going to be me and Brian Schottenheimer. Brian Schottenheimer, who has a long time history of running the ball more than most people would want an offense to run the ball. Um, so very much like everything moved toward the Cowboys wanting to continue this. Um and last week it was easy for me to pull the trigger because you know that you're playing the Eagles. You got to pass the ball. You A, you can't run against the Eagles. B, the Eagles are going to score points. So that was very comfortable to play, you know, tons of, of CeeDee Lamb. 77% of my exposure, 77% uh, of my rosters had CeeDee Lamb on it. Uh, the week before it was more of like a leap of faith because it was like, okay, the Rams have been scoring points. And so maybe the Cowboys are proactively aggressive. But then I also have to kind of look and be like, back-to-back -back weeks, the Cowboys have done this. Back-to-back -back weeks, the Cowboys have been proactively aggressive. So, um, and that's coming out of the buy where you kind of self scout and see what you need to change on offense. So yeah, it is interesting. It's one of these weeks where if this were the everything before week eight of this year, then I would have zero interest in the Cowboys. He'd be like, why are people playing the Cowboys? They're literally just going to like Dak's going to throw it 27 times. They're going to run the ball. Uh, still could be that still could be Dak throwing it under 30 times, but I'm not as convinced. So yeah, it's kind of one of those where I'm like, uh, it's not like I'm going to have 20% CD Lamb this week, you know, but I might have a little bit of him just to account for, Hey, maybe I'm wrong on, or maybe not even, maybe I'm wrong, but like more like maybe the Cowboys have philosophically changed the way they want to approach things and they want to be a little bit more aggressive moving forward. So um, yeah, I mean, also, I don't know the Giants defense. They held the Bills to 14 points. They held the Commanders to seven points. Yeah, they're kind of um, sneaky. They're kind of sneaky, you know. And it's um, they're they're like 28th in run defense DVOA, but also they gave up over 10 yards a carry to Devon Achan and um, and Raheem Mostert. And then outside of that, they've actually been like middle of the pack in run defense. 
and the you know Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator. It's it's not the same as, but it's similar to Brian Flores with the Vikings, where at the start of the year everyone was like, "Oh, the Vikings have no talent on defense. They're so bad. Just pick on them every week." And then you're like, "Well, if you have smart players and a coach who can put together a scheme that confuses opponents week in and week out, like the Vikings are a team that I roster their defense every week to some extent, and like almost never roster players against them, and they're like." top 10, top 12 in most advanced metrics now. Um, this Wink Martindale, Giants defense, Wink Martindale, uh, former defensive coordinator, coordinator of the Ravens, one of the blitz heaviest uh, defensive coordinators in the NFL, but um, he throws a lot at a quarterback that they're just not used to seeing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see, I could see, um, you know, the Cowboys are like 17 point favorites or something. The last time this happened was when they played the Cardinals, you know, and like, and they lost by 12 points. So I'm not saying that's happening here with, with Tommy DeVito under center for the Giants, but like I could see this being the type of game where um, everyone's like, oh, the Cowboys are going to win by 40 and they end up, you know, winning by 10 or something like that in like a low scoring game. So I don't want to discount that potential. I don't want to discount the potential that, um, you know, the, the Cowboys lean run heavy here. So yeah, that's kind of one of the few spots that I'm really up in the air on. I don't know what I want to do with Pollard. I don't know what I want to do with CeeDee Lamb. Uh, yeah, it's a, that's a tough spot. Cool. Glad I got to hear that before. Um, yeah, once I go to work, I'm going to be uh, bring my computer and try it. Nice. <laughs> Player pulling the bank machine and get some, like the pre-made lineups so I can actually- so, get, Love know, it, love it, love it. Cool. Um, yeah, it's not that I was much help on the Cowboys one because, like, I don't know, you know. Well, but yeah, you're hesitant on it, but that helps me because I I've also been hesitant, and you gave me like a, a little bit of insight. And the cool thing too about doing when you do MME is it's okay to not have answers. You know what I mean? Like when you're when you're yeah. hand building and you're doing like even when you're hand building and you're going to build 25 rosters or something, you kind of feel like you need to have answers, and you start you notice your thumbs keep going to the same players and oh, kind I of build that. everything the same way. Um, it's harder to get out of like one hit that mic, uh, harder to get out of one, like trail of thoughts and into yeah. another. Um, and so when you do MME, it's, it's easier to be like, okay, so I have high confidence here. So I'll put a high confidence exposure to this spot. I don't know what to do here, but I know the upside's there. So I'll have a little bit of this spot, um, and kind of mix and match things that way. So, uh, obviously then, you know, for me, and I, and I keep saying this, but most of my profit still comes from single entry three max play. I've had a couple big MME weeks, but it's like what it does is it gives you all these rosters to look at and you can kind of get a sense of, okay, here's my, here's my sharpest rosters. You know, last week I had the typical distribution of, um, you know, MME where it's like maybe 25% were in the money, you know, and the rest weren't. And they were like spread from just barely out of the money to like all the way at the back of the, of the standings. But my single entry three max rosters, I had, seven main single entry three max rosters last week. Uh, all seven of them finished in the money, or maybe I had eight and seven of those eight finished in the money in single entry three max. Um, and that's what's so cool about, to me about using something like the Bink machine is you can kind of take that pressure off of yourself for the single entry three max builds. And instead of trying to think about, okay, how do I put together the best roster? You can shop through 150 rosters and then be like, oh, here's one that stands out to me. Here's one that stands out to me. Here's one that stands out to me. Um, and so last week, you know, usually for me, it's like 13 or 14 that stand out last week, it was seven or eight and, you know, almost all or all of those cashed in single entry three max. Cause a lot of times you can kind of identify the best ones from that, that pool of, of rosters. And, um, 
yeah, with MME, you're always going to have some, or I should say almost always I had that week this year where I had three out of 150 rosters that cashed, which was just a Man. brutal week. <laughs> um, you're almost always going to have like 20% of your rosters in the money in, in that top 20% or 25% of your rosters in that top 20%. And so if you can then, you know, get pretty good at going through the rosters and, and not logically saying, okay, well, this is a good roster because it checks these boxes, but like kind of seeing it being like, oh, this is actually a really sharp roster. You're like, this one we built where you looked at it and you're like, oh, I like this, this roster, you know? And it's not so much because, um, I mean, let's br bring it back up, but uh, like, it's not like you would build, hand build a roster and put Brandon Ayuk and Najee Harris on it. And as you're putting them on, be like, I have so much confidence in these individual players. But then when you look at the roster, you're like, oh, this roster is pretty dope. And that's kind of what, what I try to get to when I talk about this, this idea of shopping through your rosters is, there's rosters that you might not hand build because you're, I mean, we did hand build this, but we hand built it with a very much like a optimizer type mindset of let's try one of the ways that you can build around these games. And um, so, you know, in terms of like picking individual players, you're not going to pick Brandon Ayuk for like a, a head to head or a 50, 50 contest and be like, okay, I feel highly confident in him and highly. So he's not like the individual players don't make you feel that confident, but you look at the roster and you're like, this roster could win a tournament. And that's kind of what we're trying to get to is being able to see roster and be like, oh, this roster is pretty dope. It could win a tournament. And I'll put this one in single entry and three max play. Yeah, I think I think we should maybe do a show next week on like picking your brain a little bit about shopping through um, your rosters and stuff because I'm actually yeah. really curious on your whole process with that. And I would like to know because I, I haven't, whenever I did – Whenever I was going to do the um, multi-entry, the 150 max, um, I wasn't planning on doing any three-entry or single entries, but I would love to um, start adding those in as well. Yeah, yeah, and I would say do the like run a do run a week of the MME first, um, and then like once you get comfortable with it, leave a week where you have an extra hour of time to just kind of flip through them, and you reserve like you know seven or eight single entry three max rosters, and then kind of shop through them and be like, okay, here's one. It's going in this $12 single entry. Here's one that's going in this $5 single entry. Um, and, you know, kind of takes the pressure off of the, the hand build where you can click over to that optimal player mindset of like the guys who project best. And um, that's rare, rarely going to be the way to win tournaments against a bunch of people. So yeah, I've talked about kind of broken down my process on that in inner circle, but um, yeah, it would be cool to, to talk about that more publicly here next week i'll be in um so we're doing thanksgiving with my side of the family um people watching this don't don't you guys don't care i need to know any of this, but, um but yeah i, I, I say this because i fly in oklahoma next next week on friday but it's because my family's doing thanksgiving in branson so my parents are flying down um lauren and jared are driving up my stephanie and sam are flying down anyhow all, all of us are converging down there we're borrowing mimi's car and driving up to Branson. So I guess next week I'll be in your neck of the woods, but won't actually be seeing you. And then gotcha. next week, uh, the next week or the next, I don't know, whenever it is, um, we'll be doing one of these shows like in close, I'll probably be at your dad's house uh, recording and maybe you'll be there too. <laughs> we'll just be in separate rooms or in the same room. I don't know. But uh, one of these we can, we can really jam on how we, how we select rosters because we'll be sitting there right next to each other um, yeah. Yeah, in some cool. form or fashion. Um, all right, cool. So, uh, I guess that wraps it up for this week. Kids did a great job. I hear a new episode of Bluey starting. Um, 
the uh, the OWS the OWS OGs will appreciate the kids are watching Bluey because there was like two years ago that all the dads were like shocked that uh, my kids did not watch Bluey and that I refused to watch it because everybody liked it. And, um, oh really? <laughs> yeah, it was like uh, the kids used to watch Trash Truck, which nobody's ever heard of. And uh, the Twirly Woos, which is from the UK and nobody's ever heard of, but William loved those. Dude. And I was like, I don't need to bring a new show into this equation. And everyone was like, Bluey's awesome. And I mean, um, miles and then, on Twirly Woos. Really? Yeah, bro. Every time she goes over, he comes over there to for her to watch him or something like that. She'll he like starts begging her to watch Twirly Woos. Twirly Woos are pretty dope. Uh, <laughs> it's not, they used to carry it on Netflix and they stopped. So you got to just like find YouTube, YouTube clips now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the, uh, the OWS OGs who are dads love that, uh, love that we're a bluey family now. We're very much a bluey family now, but yeah. Um, yeah. All the, all the people your age who don't have kids are like, <laughs> why am I still what are you talking kids? about right now? <laughs> <laughs> Once you have kids, you'll catch the bluey craze. Um, I remember I was, um, uh, watching new heights. Jason Kelsey was saying he could, he could sit there and watch bluey all day. So, in good uh in good company all right with that we're gonna get out of here uh, i'm gonna go take care of this this two-year-old and four-year-old who have been in charge of themselves for the last hour shout out to them for doing a good <laughs> job uh we will see you guys on the site throughout the rest of the weekend we'll see you at the top of the leaderboards on sunday